Hi, welcome to discussions of music, healing, and consciousness with your hosts, Chris Noble and Bill Prosman. In today's episode, we're talking all about music technology, how it's expanding and evolving in this day and age, and the interesting aspects that it brings to musical performances, whether they be in person or online. We'll go into the details regarding online performances versus in-person performances, how in-person performances are being augmented with technology nowadays to create a more hybrid experience, whereas online performances offer a really unique way to interact and engage with your favorite artists in a new way. We'll be talking about this and lots of other things, as always, in our open conversations here on discussions of music, healing, and consciousness. I was, um, what you were saying there about live streaming kind of got me thinking about the sacredness of music because you started talking about how, you know, back, of course, in the day when we had LPs or records or, you know, CDs, even tapes, there was this sacred nature. I remember uh, different bands that I loved growing up, like uh, Radiohead, when they had their, uh, one of their really amazing, I think it was their first independent album release, which was In Rainbows, and they famously um released it as a pay what you can or uh you know there's here's a major artist coming out and actually offering a pay what you can model for their latest release and i still just went uh, i remember waiting outside um a store in canada called hmv i don't know if hmv was outside of uh, canada but anyway it doesn't matter it's just a record store and uh i was waiting for that to open just so i could get in there and get that cd and you know there's this there is that sacred or exciting element of waiting. You had to wait because music was limited. It wasn't available all the time, anytime. And there was a bit more of a sacred nature to it. Now, the flip side is like, if you took streaming away from me, I'd be pretty pissed because I love having all this amazing music available immediately. So what do you think, Bill? Is there like a middle ground in there somewhere that we can oh. that we might be finding right now? There's like bringing the sacred nature back to music, but keeping the available options open. I hope so. The craziness about licensing has really gone like far swing to one side of whatever the pendulum swings, and that includes software licensing and streaming everything and, and all the stuff that you still buy. Like if you buy a movie that's that you download. Um, you don't actually have that downloaded movie. You have access to somebody other, someone else's server on which your purchase of that movie resides, right? And and that's not a bad uh, way of looking at the whole thing. Uh, my wife's a painter, so when she paints an image and sells it, she retains the copyright to the image, even though the person who purchased the media owns the original version of it, right? But that comes with responsibilities. They have no, um, they can't leverage their purchase for any economic gain of their own. You know, if they did that, they'd be subject to the copyright law that exists that governs the way that these things work. Same with music. I mean, you go out and and plagiarize something, you're breaking the law. You go out and resell somebody else's music without a license, you're breaking the law. Uh, you know, and and so the whole thing about this, instead of being owned by the creatives and the consumers, is now owned by the attorneys. And thank you, attorneys, you've done a good job at helping us protect our intellectual property. But there are ways that that doesn't help. Like when you want to be able to reach someone um, with your music, how, what's the most effective way of doing that? Hey, it's great to have instant access to everything, right? Spotify is awesome. Streaming services are awesome. 
but then there's this debate about who gets paid what for all of the stuff you know that that's online. If it wasn't about the money and you just wanted somebody to have access to the music, I mean, how how could you do that in a way that retains the sacred value of that thing? You know, that's an equal transaction, a two-way transaction. Somebody buying art, it's an equal transaction. Like you, you kind of get that, right? It's not so much with music anymore. The musician kind of gets the short end of this of the stick on that, which isn't the way it should be. But when you were talking about doing streaming shows where the access is is controlled, I guess is a good way of saying it. Like if I bought a ticket to your show, I could see the show and also be able to get the replay, if you will. Right. That's a good thing. I mean, I, I, that's great for me because then I can always go back to that moment in my life where I was listening to Chris play and re-experience that, that wonderfulness that happened in that moment. I mean, that's, that's an amazing use of technology because used to be back in the day, you missed the concert. All you could do is read the review, right? There wasn't, (laughs) there's no way to hear it. And, uh, and and we want to be able to extend that way in some equitable form so people can experience the thing that was so wonderful, right? And offer it to their friends. Maybe we go back to listening parties. Remember back, I don't know if you're old enough, but I remember my uh, aunt and uncle had this new stereo console when I was a baby. You know, it's like this piece of furniture that had the, all of you know, the speakers were in there and the turntable and the amp. And they'd have listening parties and people would come over and sit around and they'd listen to the latest, you know, LP. Mm. And, and maybe that's how we need to sort of regroup, you know, find ourselves able to replay video content. You know, everybody's coming over to watch the movie, right? Or replay mm. concert content. Everybody comes over to watch the concert that they missed. And I, as your friend, share that with you, right? That's legal use. If I charged you for it, it wouldn't be, but that's legal use. Mm. And, um, if we can somehow encourage that part of it, as well as having the streaming available, then, hey, fantastic. I'd love to get a group of people together. I very wasn't able to attend. I was in New York. You're in Vancouver. Get a listening party together and or a watch party together, right? What happened to that anymore? And um, what, a, what a great way of being able to participate in the event, you know, whether or not it's live, but theoretically it would be. But what a great way to participate in the event, right? That's what we want to promote especially when it comes to the sacredness of healing music. And there's a way to do that in, in that context. Right. Yeah. You know, I don't know. What do you think? Does healing music work in that kind of, I mean, it, it must work at a distance cause it's music, but you know, all things being the same, if you're not in the room, do you have the same kind of experience or can you deliver the same kind of experience? Can we deliver that if we stream it? I mean, I used to think that that was a, it was an immediate no. Uh, I used to think there's no way that you're going to be able to replicate what's happening in real life uh, through the, you know, through your ethernet, through the internet, and then back out through your speakers and all that, like the loss of quality of audio, et cetera, et cetera. But then I've, I've had experiential situation or just experiences that have, uh, and friends of mine who have proven that theory, not wrong, but with, there's a big you're never going to have the same effect as what is happening in real life when you're in the room, you know, yeah. in a sound healing experience or just in a concert. You're never going to have that. Even if you have advanced virtual reality, augmented reality situation, like, you know, some meta, whatever universe technology <laughs> crap, whatever way you want to throw at it technologically, you'll never ever have the same nuances and experiences as the physical body being in the physical space of this other artist performing this music, you'll never have that. However, the effects of that music and the effects heard by that artist 
uh, can absolutely be felt throughout the internet. And it's because it's the energy as well of that person. And when I say energy, it's their personality, it's their aura, it's their, uh, not just the music coming off of them. It's their, it's that, it's their, it's their persona. It's that, that individual's, uh, energetic resonance that, that shoots out when they perform, when they're at their, you know, most sort of when they're in their element, so to speak. And so you see that you hear that through your speakers and you're still getting a lot because you're getting that, that person's essence then through the music as well. And, you know, any good artist uh, who I've now experienced, or I've even had some friends of mine who have given me sound baths over zoom. And I'm the first to admit that I'm like, thank, like, thank God I had access to that. Cause it really helped. And I, and I really so benefit from it. Do you have a feel for how much of it gets through? Like if a hundred percent is you live in the room, how much percentage wise gets through via streaming service or via audio only or i mean it's like watching a baseball game at the stadium versus listening to it on the radio back in the day yeah i mean there are also different experiences it's, it's like if i'm going to go to an online concert i feel like i'm going with a different energy than i'm going to be going to that concert in person anyway mm -hmm. uh, and but to, but to answer your question Oh, in terms of audio fidelity, you know, the, the quality, I would say you're probably looking at like maybe 70% you could get through, um, which is pretty decent, especially if you've it's got, not it's not bad. Um, I think with technology and the way it, it's all looking like right now, if you have a really good setup, yeah, I don't know, especially if you're simple, if it's a simple um, performance, which is probably more of the recommendation to, to do these things with maybe just a couple of instruments and a, and a voice so as an example. So my friends who do sound baths, they sing and they play their crystal healing bowls. That's it. Mm. So those are the two things going on. So because there's just the two things happening, there's less, uh, you know, options for interference or things dropping out of the mix and stuff like that. So the simpler your setup, the better the audio quality, I would say as well. And um, if you're a vocalist in particular and you really don't have much, sometimes you sing acapella as well. You're really not going to, there's not going to be too much of a hit, like lost, you know, like people get yeah. a pretty good sense of <laughs> everything that you're, you're delivering there. And then as the listener, you know, I'd recommend experiment between listening with like nice headphones versus going through speakers and letting your body feel the vibration of that performance too, and, and see what that kind of feels like. So it's like, you know, it, it it's never going to be the same thing because you can't replicate being in a physical environment with these people and interacting with their energies and their, you know, just the vibe of the event event in general in that space. But you can get a lot of the effects of the music. So that's what I've been able to experience. And that's why I'm now going back and, and starting to offer all my shows online now, because I want that ripple effect of the healing music to get out to more people. And then if, you know, if obviously online just makes that more feasible. So there's, there's, there's pros and cons like with anything, right? Sure. I'm, I'm convinced that the energy of the performer doesn't need, you know, all of the technology to get through. That's going to take, that has its own channel. That's quantum, <laughs> that's quantum mechanics. That's, that's like quantum, mechanics, quantum right. entanglement is instantaneous. Yeah. So that's all good for me. Um, where I wonder about things and I read ages ago, it's gotta be at least 10 years on this about how they do compression of audio um, I know it's the same for video. And basically, if you're if you're thinking about this and you can see a ruler uh, in front of you, just visualize a ruler. Sound that fills the entire ruler is uncompressed sound. It's just pure audio the way you might get it off of an LP if you were playing that with a needle and speakers, right? The, the old fashioned way. 
um, compressed audio, they start to remove bits of that. So maybe every inch, there's a one inch segment that's removed and it, and that audio is easier to transport because it's smaller. And our ears and brains reassemble the missing bits, right? So there's a higher CPU cycle, brain cycles required in order to listen to music like that, which means like playing relaxing music that's over the internet or even listening to it from old versions of iTunes or Spotify, probably. Um, your brain is working harder than if you heard that music uncompressed from a CD on your own, right? Single source. That makes sense to me. And I'm wondering where we are on that now because you know HD is getting better. Actually, HD is what we used to call television <laughs> when it was uncompressed. Mm. But you know they're now re restoring some of the missing parts of that, so our eyes don't work as hard to see HD streaming stuff as they used to. Um, I'm wondering where we are with audio on that because bandwidth is so amazing anymore, and music is just tiny compared to video. Um, is there? Have you read anything recently? Are are CDs actually being resampled and streamed uncompressed now? I know Spotify gives you options for HD and regular quality or whatever, but do you have any knowledge on that? Because to me, it no. seems that specifically with healing music, mm. if you are making this music for an audience, whether they're live in the room or somewhere else, uh, you want to have the best possible effect. And knowing that your video and audio streams have been compressed i.e. some of the sound has been removed. <laughs> Therefore, your consumers are working harder to have the same experience. Uh, that doesn't seem, I don't know, like the best possible representation of what we have to give, you know? That makes me think, Bill, like it's, I think we're moving into an era where there's maybe a lot of different types of ways to consume the same content, for example. Yeah, yeah. So you're going to have the studio album, which is that, you know, yes, it'll be available on Spotify, uh, which you can listen to compressed or non-compressed if you want. And you have that option, or you can buy directly from the artist or, you know, actually order the physical copy, which most artists still have that as an availability or, you know, even buying vinyl, you can always go do that, go to the source, buy it from them. Some artists now are selling, like I'm going to be start starting to sell a lot of my healing music on my own website that you can purchase it directly from me. And um, that way you're going to get really high quality. As you're saying, this is uncompressed. You're absolutely right. Pure, pure, all the tones, all the frequencies that were put into it are going to be coming through. That is still the prime high quality audio experience with the exception of the live show in person. So there's that degree. You've got kind of that, like maybe let's call that the top of the pedestal for audio quality yeah, and yeah. audio experiences. However, there's other experiences that are fruitful and, and, and pretty amazing, but they, they might not have the same audio quality, but when you're doing a, like a live stream, you're getting a different energy. You're getting that, well, it's a live performance. Yes. I know I can't be there in person. And yes, I know this isn't the same, but with this artist and, and I know with people like you and me, Bill, like we do, every show is different for us. And the way that we're feeling in each show is going to be a different performance because of that. And yeah. especially with the music that, you know, that I'm, I'm doing, it's highly improvised a lot. So you're always going to be getting something different. And for that reason alone, if it's a live stream, then great. At least I can experience that, that thing. And yes, I know it's a little bit different audio quality, but that's okay. I know that going into it and I'll save my money, you know, for like the big, you know, uh, record purchase later, 
But for right now, I'll, I'll hop on a quick live stream and just get a nice taste because I'm, I'm feeling that right now. So yeah. I feel like there could be these sort of tiers of experiences that, you know, I don't know if it degrades the music. I mean, I no, know- no, no, not about that at all. Yeah. But I think offering the choice is wise. I mean, you could offer your um, the video recording of a DVD as well, you know, for people who want to see the visual. Um, but but choosing your um, choosing your level of engagement. How about that? Yeah. You know, if you yeah. want the if you want the standard definition audio, it's less expensive than the high definition audio, which is less expensive than the video feed, right? Uh, and all of these things could apply because you might be wanting to participate and you're in the car. And you know what? To take that one step further, I just I just was also realizing I'm I'm starting to work with a virtual assistant and she's helping me post on social media because I literally don't do that. Um, it's just not my jam, and that's fine. That's why I'm outsourcing it. And you know, I've been talking to her about pieces of content to put out there. And one of the things that I'll be doing each week is just a video of myself playing piano and it's recorded on my iPhone and literally nothing else is going on. I plop the phone down, press record. That is it. So you're not getting any direct feeds into a mixing board or an interface. Like this is, you know, quote unquote, as low qualities we're going to get. Then it goes on social media as we both know that compresses the audio as well. So you're getting it and it's free. Social media, you're just going to grab it. Well, guess what? Some of my absolute favorite musicians I've had, I don't go on social media often, but when I have, and I've seen some of their posts, like they're in their studio and they've got their phone and the phone's flopping around and it's not really well put together. And I love it. I love it because I feel like I'm there. I feel like I'm in this intimate sharing experience with this artist who I absolutely adore and I'm being led into their life and that's magical. And so ironically, this low quality experience, quote unquote, is actually something that I I love. And so that's why there's these tiers of experiences where you could go from the phone recording of someone noodling and that has a value to it. And that can even be monetized and all that kind of stuff too. But then we go, and then we go up, I think at the top of that is the, the record or the CD high quality experience slash live experience. So you kind of have this range is what I'm seeing now. Yeah. I, I, I like that. And, and that's, um, you know, again, this is pre-attorneys because they're going to figure out how to regulate all that stuff too. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. But, um, and why not? Right. So we have an expectation of quality that is, that's defined. And maybe the music community takes care of that without the attorneys, or maybe they do. And then say the attorneys, this is how we're doing it now. <laughs> Who knows? That'd be nice. So we don't you know, get, you know, left nice? at the, <laughs> right? in the gutter. <laughs> right. Because a lot of that stuff that otherwise would be like on the cutting room floor is great to have. It is. And, uh, I, I love, was it Gaga that put together that New Year's concert in New Year's 2021, 2020? Yeah. I yeah. forget now. Mm-hmm. And, and people were just like on their iPhones. They literally yeah. had the iPhone sitting there on the piano or whatever, yeah. and they were doing their thing. And um, it was so raw, right? Uh, the one that sticks in my mind, and, and it's going to sound a little bit like a weird comment, but um, they had Elton John on a digital grand piano somewhere in his driveway, I think, outdoors <laughs> with an iPhone. And, um, and no monitors, uh, you know, I don't know how they did it. And, um, and he, he, he gutted it out, man. He, he got through it, whatever it was he was playing, but I loved seeing him that exposed. Wow. It just made him feel more real human, you know? Yeah. Not so right? polished. Not yeah. so polished. Gaga was the same. They had some people who had a, you know, the set and they had the reverb and stuff. I don't know. Celine Dion was on. She never sings without reverb. Right. So yeah, they had her, but you know, just <laughs> getting to that tiny desk level. Without the tiny desk equipment, mm-hmm. you know, um, that gives you a new feel for the artist that you really resonate with. Yep. You know, to see them sort of stripped of everything. 
it's yeah. it's very humanizing i find yeah it's it's easy to build these people up in our minds as geniuses which they are it's not to take away from their genius because they they are incredibly gifted um but it doesn't mean like we all have that capability of of genius within us you know it's not that some people get and some people don't it's a matter of accessing it and the more we think it's outside of us the more we think it's oh those people have it but obviously i don't have it, it well then you know that's a self-fulfilling prophecy right and this idea like of seeing elton you know yeah in his garage probably having some technical difficulties and not having a perfect you know situation oh, yeah. great guess what it happens to everyone it's so yeah. nice to see even to the greats they're just human too totally you know? refreshing so refreshing I actually love that. And, and, you know, it made me think too, like a part of this whole tier system of ways to experience music. There's also like you were mentioning um, recording the concerts and then selling them on DVD. Well, that's still, that's that higher level version of the stream right. concert. Right. Right. Cause then yep. those, those are like the, Oh, those are beautifully shot. Like I love cinematography and filmmaking. And I would be like those kind of, shows I would, I would put a lot of time and effort and money into the shooting of it and you know make sure it's a visual spectacular spectacle and, and an audio auditory uh, spectacle as well and so you get those things and then you'd buy the, and so i can just see and actually in a very exciting way this makes me as an entrepreneur also really excited because i'm like oh so many different products so many different ways to reach people now it's actually it's kind of great you get people for for all kind of walks of life and places where you're at um, and levels of interest of in your music, you can you can just get to a lot more people now. I think that's really great, but we just have to recognize that. the premium. Okay, so I can see you in the two camera shoot, right? Stationary <laughs> cameras, and that's just not going to cut it for Chris. People, no. Chris is not going to be that <laughs> that kind of shoot. Eventually, Chris can be the guy that has a premium price for someone who has a virtual joystick and control the camera and where Ooh. it looks, right? <laughs> I can see that coming, right? That's cool. And, and we'll get the 360 thing going on yeah, and, and yeah. all of that, right? You know, and um, yeah, I can I can see that's that's where this is all headed. I like that, Bill. <laughs> as I a cameraman that. yourself, you're never going to know that the person that you hired is going to get the right shot. <laughs> no, yeah, that's the, you, you have know? to leave it's that. Always, orbiting in the back of your mind oh i know and that's what when i'm if people are because i work in film for the for the audience listening i i am a cinematographer as well so when i'm being filmed i'm i have to really especially playing music i was just performing at a museum like uh two months ago or something with uh, another artist and we were doing a shoot um for this festival it's, now it's online right so we were being filmed for this live performance and uh, the camera person's coming and I was like, I'm playing, but then I'm looking over at her camera. I'm like, Oh, she's shooting on the black magic. I wonder if she's using the six K or the four K and oh, stop thinking about that. Chris, stop thinking about that. You got music. Perform, you're here. performing. So you're not a cinematographer right now. You're going to be the guy who has like a GoPro on his chest and on each hand and on your head. And you're, you, it'll be a four camera shoot of Chris playing the piano. <laughs> and probably a still looking back the other way, or maybe from left and from right. You'll have seven camera shoot just for you. As many sensory <laughs> experiences as we can have, we're going to have them basically. Exactly. And and then you mentioned the 360, and that's another cool thing for people listening to. That's another feature that we can even access in this day and age. Is you can do live streams with the 360 camera, meaning that the audience watching can, to a degree, click and scroll scroll around uh, yeah. in that space and, and take a look at different people doing different things, which is actually really fun. That's another way to experience it too. Pan around the stage. Yeah. Do you get an audio spatial uh, audio based on where the camera is directed? I don't or think we, so. Not but, there yet. But I, but I could be wrong. 
I could be wrong. I'm not sure exactly. I'm gonna I know I'm gonna know more about this in the next week because I have to figure this out ASAP. I have a show next week that I <laughs> stay tuned. I, stay tuned. I have a show next week that I uh, on the seventh of December and I need to live stream that. So I'm telling people I'm going to do it. So I have to figure it out how to do it. <laughs> well, unlike mo- many of us, you already have the pro equipment you can use. So it's just a matter of how do you integrate that with you know Zoom or whatever the whatever your, your platform uh, your platform will be. But I think it brings brings me back to a, a thought of you know making music sacred again, and when you know, we can make it human and, and people understand that these are just, we're just, we're humans expressing, you know, expressing ourselves and this idea of making music more collaborative. And uh, I had a friend of mine back in Toronto who is a song leader and he basically will go to different places and just play songs that are really easy for people to sing along to. You don't, you don't even need to know the song. They're just so good to have everyone sing along to. And I remember what he was telling me was that He's like, look, Chris, we, for the last hundred years, roughly, we've, we've gone out of what music used to all be all about. Music be, used to be about inclusion and it used to be about community. It was never about, I am the musician. You can all watch me perform and then you all stay quiet and watch me perform. Now that is a, an experience and I love those experiences too, but performing when you know, in this a sacred manner, in a sense where it's very intentional, you're all here to, yes, hear some music, but to share the music, to sing all together. And when you get everybody singing together and, and having that approach to music, that's very, I just keep using the word sacred because it feels intentional. It feels meaningful. And people go there with a very particular intention. Then all of a sudden there is, it's, it's, we're getting back to the origins and the roots of what music is for. And I find with this live streaming, the, the positive that I'm, I'm finding in it now um, versus a year ago when I was really against it, which was it's, it's, it's actually making, it's humanizing these performers and it's making music in a way sometimes more sacred because we value the live experience so much more now. Now that we can see the contrast oh, of going yes. on Zoom and being like, okay, I checked out Chris's concert on Zoom. Really cool. It was great because I was, you know, not in the city and I was able to catch it and I got some, you know, good stuff vibes and everything from it really cool experience it now makes me want to really go experience him in person because Mm -hmm. obviously that's going to be even more impactful or more of what i'm seeking right now so maybe in a weird way all this crazy technology and compression and all this quality getting lost in the music is is allowing people a chance to understand the the beauty of certain experiences now that we maybe took for granted in the past I, as you were speaking, I was thinking of all of the uh, symphony musicians who were recording themselves in the, their parking garages practicing, you know, and putting that out, not live streaming it out. And eventually it got to be pretty well produced and there was an actual thing around that. But the, the ability to be in the room, even if that was virtual, it was first of all novel. And then it became a kind of a sacred thing because there you are kind of one-on-one. And I don't think a lot of those were live. I, I, it seems to me they just put them on YouTube and you go there, but there you are literally sitting, you know, feet away from someone that you've seen from the nosebleed section, you know, in concert. Uh, What a great experience just to be in that sort of intimate space and to be able to be, um, to experience the humanness of what it takes to perform a part in an orchestra or play bass in a band or whatever that thing is, right? To be able to be that 
close to it. Um, I keep thinking of Tiny Desk. Why do I keep thinking of Tiny Desk? But it, it's but like it's that. It's a great example, you know? though. You know, it, it, it's, it's definitely not an overproduced thing. And for those listening, if you don't know what Tiny Desk is, oh, yeah. it's NPR's Tiny Desk. It's a YouTube channel, uh, National Public Radio in the U.S., and they just have the best concerts. And they do them also not on the Tiny Desk, meaning it's very acoustic and raw. They also have other ones as well, more full band. But the Tiny Desk series are the most intimate kind of raw performances from all the top artists on the planet, basically, have now gone through there at one point or another. And it's a real treat. If you haven't gone down that rabbit hole yet, please do, because you will not be uh, sorry you did so. Yeah. And it's like half an hour. You could They're consumable. You Very. don't have to sit for two hours or whatever. Um, and and you really get the best that people have to offer at, on that day, at that moment, right? The way they mm. were. Because there are some people that get in there, and you can tell it's just not their day. But they're still there, and they're showing up, and they still are amazing. They just don't have that. I mean, it's an energy thing. You start to read the energy after a while. Absolutely. You know, I, I heard somebody write about a Diana Krall concert or something. And it's like, well, she'd just gotten off the plane and blah, blah, blah. And it just, you know, she was tired and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, gee, I'm glad I didn't see that concert. But the end of the review is, and she hit it out of the park, right? <laughs> it's <laughs> like, say it's, yeah, she's pretty awesome. You know, this, so. this is what we do. You know, even yeah. if you're sick, you go on, if you, you, you dance with a broken foot, if that's what it takes, you know. Um, Artists can be real warriors, you know. Oh, man. And. And, and it's incredible. It's incredible to understand what people have done to put on a show. Uh, read the Keith Jarrett concert, the Cone concert. If you haven't, if anybody's listening, if you haven't, if you haven't, first of all, listen to Keith Keith Jarrett's K O L N Cone is what I say for that. Am I right? I don't know if you speak German, correct me, or maybe it's Austrian. Mm. Um, that concert, like, literally, was not going to happen. It just was not going to happen for all these reasons, and he did it. <laughs> and it is like one of the top live recordings ever in the world. And uh, it's, you know, it's that kind of, that's the thing, you know, even if you weren't there, even if you are hearing it, you know, in old way compressed music, the story around how that took place just puts you in a different space. See, I think you're hitting something here, Bill, with this the story, right? People love yeah. to hear that things didn't work out. Not sometimes. Yes. Because you know, we're, if you're a little bit miserable and then you're validated by other people's misery, but in a healthier sense, because that, that exists. But I think for the most part, people genuinely, genuinely, and generally love hearing that because it's the, again, going back to being human, it's the humanitarian um, way that we, we can start to see like, wow, you know, like this person really clearly cares about performing for the people to get that music. I mean, to, to fight through all those odds just to perform, just to play one show, you know, yeah. but, but for you and me, like we, we get that, like I would do anything to perform because it, there is this like almost sense of duty or, or honor and service of, to others in, in expressing our, our gifts and it just happens to be through the medium of music. And um, you know, I remember uh, one of my favorite bands growing up was Blink-182 pop punk band and uh, I was obsessed with their drummer, Travis Barker. He's an insane drummer. I mean, there's no, no matter if you like the music or not, everyone would always marvel at his uh, virtuoso drum playing. And one tour, he broke his arm. And of course, uh, as a drummer, that's a pretty big blow to uh, your performance situation. It was, I think, his dominant arm, too. It's like his oh, right arm. Yeah. So it was like the worst one to break. And instead of canceling the tour, what does he do? He designs this contraption 
that allows him to use his feet to play as if like part of what his right hand would be doing on um, probably most likely hitting his snare drum. And so he designed this thing that basically allowed, like he had to do a lot more with his feet, but he'd be able to, you know, operate it in a sense to be able to play the songs just like he did, or at the very least closer to, and it still sounded ridiculous. And what he could do too, like <laughs> just three yeah, yeah. limbs versus the four was still incredible. So to see this person against these odds and he's still doing his solos and then the drum kit, you know, is on these platform that lifts up and then rotates and then goes upside down as he's soloing and, you know, broken arm and you're like yeah. this this is this is what i love it i love it people ate it up it made it more memorable as you're yeah. saying it was the story right it's a story i love it <laughs> and and uh, you know the only reason i've had any success at all with a one-man show is because of the story in it you know and that's almost more compelling than the music the music is sort of the accompaniment to the story in a way do you tell Other stories at your shows play. do you like yeah to, yeah um so people who don't know i i used to do this a lot probably it's been since the mid 2000s that i haven't done many of them but um i would simply go on stage with the story of my life and provide musical accompaniment to that so this is you know this is why i'm still playing the piano the 12th street rag you know whatever in fifth grade um all the way up to shadow work that i've done later in life and playing the song that kept that stayed me kept me alive and then playing the contrasting song you know that's like the what happens next kind of stuff so uh, those stories are what made it work. You know, anybody can play the music, but mm -hmm. at, but offering the stories, it's like so much better than just showing up and there's a program and then you're just ticking things off as the performer goes through the program, right? Yeah. Uh, that's that classical sort of experience. It works fine in recitals, but it isn't yeah. me. And so, um, and, and offering all different genres. I mean, good heavens, when, when you go to hear a piano concert where there's one person responsible for 12 genres of music, right? Yeah. That's and amazing. making it all work somehow. So um, the stories are what make that work, you know, to, to stick things together in a way that people can relate to. Otherwise, it's just like you're up there, they're there. But but the humanistic part of it, you know, is where you offer a story. And, and that's what pulls people in. And having said that, I've had the craziest reactions to all kinds of music. And I can sit here and honestly say that any kind of music is healing music. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. There's the ambient stuff that we all think is healing music, right? The, the really you know the stuff like you and i play right yeah it's that beautiful improvised melodic sort of soundscape stuff that works and we all know those sounds that crystal bowls make and the, and the kind of droning of a didgeridoo that has that transportive stuff to yeah. it but the beatles are healing mm -hmm. blink 182 yeah. is healing i mean pick any if you love it it's healing it's your healing music right exactly so, death um, metal doesn't matter what it is yeah bring it on and and just saying to people you know it's okay that you don't like classical music. So I'm going to play, you know, John Cage's four minutes and 33 seconds. You'll love it. <laughs> and you'll love it because you won't have to worry about whether it's classical. <laughs> because there's nothing happening. Quote Nothing's happening. <laughs> right. So the, the, the openness that exists, I've always hoped that we could get some participative stuff going like your friend in Toronto, that's the song leader. And um, I have this crazy idea that we can do that, that we're in the age where we can do that. I, I believe um, so. You know, um, a buddy's about to release an album and I've, I've convinced him, I think, to not release the whole album, but to release just one song and have that song be the song that people can sing along to and ask them to send back their audio recordings of the last minute and a half of the song, singing along to Ooh. it, right? And then edit all that together so that the song becomes bigger and bigger and bigger, right? 
and build wow. buzz that way rather than you know marketing but build buzz by actually having people participate in it and that's, become that's part of the music you know that. why not right we can do that that sounds like way more fun marketing it sounds also uh I, my, my business slash life coach that I work with, she, she calls this heart marketing. Yeah. You're, you're, you're marketing with your heart. It's not this strategy to, you know, manipulate our course or not even necessarily that evil, but more just a kind of unintentional, less, well, just no, no heart in it. It's just, you know, let's put some Facebook ads up there and uh, hope for the best and just get some ticket sales or whatever. It's like, no, no, no. Like, heart-based marketing and, you know, marketing, you just take that out. It's just heart, heart-based intention, intentionality uh, with the release of your music. And that, that's a, that's a really great idea. I'm just, isn't, I mean, isn't the opportunity yeah. for that? We've got all these and 3d marketing works really well. Funnels, whatever, you know, digital marketing, the run a webinar, have 300 people in the room mm -hmm. and all you're really there to do is to tease them for the product you really want them to buy. Yeah. And, 10% of them will buy that in the back of, you know, yeah. that whole stuff. It's like, come on guys. I mean, <laughs> why can't we go for the heart? Why can't we go for the heart? And just why can't that be hugely profitable too? You know, well, exactly. Nobody else is doing it. So there's no competition. <laughs> 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 well, or either that or they don't know they're do that they're doing it. You know, I'm, I'm as sure as we're sitting here talking and people like Elton John and Lady Gaga, they've got to know that there's a heart connection there that happens on that authentic stuff where there's no lights there's no band there's you know it's just you they've got to know that that's a heart connection right i think some of them certainly do i remember watching an interview with alicia keys and uh oh yeah absolutely and um she's i mean she's she's extremely heart-based and very very grateful and appreciative you listen to her she's extremely conscious and spiritual and yeah. you know awakened you know she she knows exactly what music does to people and even people like chris martin leader of the uh, coldplay the way he interacts with the audience. I mean, everyone that sees a Coldplay concert always just since day one of them performing have always said they're very euphoric because they, they get the crowds singing and everyone, everyone's just all based in love. And Michael Jackson's famous for that too. Oh my his gosh, concerts yeah. are yeah. all based on love. Uh, the name of his last major tour that uh, unfortunately got cut short because he passed away was, was literally called love. Yeah, it was a lot. And, and Daft Punk, the dance dance band Daft Punk always sings about love always every lyric from every song they have is almost all based on love or music and you start to look at these big pop stars and a lot of them really clearly understand it comes from the heart and to and that's what's made them successful is because people feel that it's yeah. not just because they got lucky it's because they're obviously talented and it came from the heart people feel that it wasn't fake it wasn't uh if it was put together and all synthesized and overproduced those artists typically don't last the test of time. Yeah. You know, the Beatles yeah. last because they're just so that came from the heart and the 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 talent was just and the chemistry was just so good. It was so real that you couldn't dispute it. And still to this day, you know, like that's the that's that's always where music comes from. The good stuff always comes from the heart. And I I think we're getting back to that more and people are becoming more aware of that. And, and that's what's starting to sell, even from a marketing and business standpoint. There lots of statistics are showing that. No one wants to buy from a corporation anymore. People want to buy from people. Yeah. And people. there are a lot of social media influencers who are making a lot of money selling their own, whatever they're selling. It's their services, their merch, both uh, basically their lifestyle. And 
Why not? Because it's yeah. showing that people want to connect with people. And as you're saying, these live streams strip away a lot of the smoke and mirrors of uh, performances and getting to see these artists for who they really are. And just as a, you know, I remember watching one of my favorite Icelandic um, composer artists, um, Olafur Arnold's amazing, amazing um, composer performer. And he was doing a live Instagram on uh, probably just like maybe the first two months into the pandemic. And he completely was messing up this synthesizer thing he was trying to show us. And he, he kept laughing because it kept messing up. And then his laughter was so contagious that I started laughing. And then he just started making jokes for the next five minutes about his, you know, technology just have, you know, it's never, there's a personality behind it. Cause it always just messes up sometimes for no reason. And yep. you start to go like, why? And you're like, I, and so he's, he's just going on this whole thing. And, and it was basically like, I remember, I remember it because nothing ended up happening. He couldn't even perform the music. And it was just a whole, like, basically what we would consider a train wreck or like, Oh no, I was going to go live and everything I wanted to do didn't happen. It turned out to be hilarious. And he, it was just, it was great. I, I, I found that that was the, that was the performance. So it's probably got more views than anything else. Exactly. So here's a question. What's your most embarrassing concert moment that turned out? Okay. <laughs> oh, that's a great idea. Oh, okay. I got one that pops right into my head quickly. I remember I was in a, I think this was a cover band. No, this was my high school band. That's right. We we're doing a battle of the bands and uh we were at uh i think the next level of this tournament of the battle of the bands we had, we had progressed to a new whatever this is such a scam the battle of the bands but anyway <laughs> we'll get into that so just take advantage of a bunch of high school bands basically because they don't know any better and so we were performing and i was really getting into this one song i was playing piano and um there was just this one big moment where i had to you know smash the keys for extra effect you know impact and i did and it was all on the low end of the keyboard. So my keyboard stand was not very well situated. Oh, no. And so it boom catapulted my keyboard up into the air. I grabbed it in the air <laughs> before it hits the ground. And I just somehow like, I didn't, I couldn't play anything more, but I just had to grab it. And then I kind of half fell to the ground holding my keyboard. Thank God it was basically at the end of the song. So everyone just thought I went like, you know, nuts like i went super rock and roll yeah i just tried to like trash my keyboard and so everyone thought it was the coolest thing ever and i was mortified because i almost broke my keyboard by complete accident so that was a really happy accident that everyone everyone thought i was a rock star and i i, I did not correct them but uh, it was a complete and utter mistake beautiful <laughs> <laughs> it looked cool yeah it must i can get the visual on this now right? so there's no reason to watch chris's live stream <laughs> <laughs> yes, he might break things and it might turn into a better show. <laughs> yeah. Or you could rig it up like this so that anyway, special effects like the old fashioned way. Oh, yeah. The keyboard oh, rises yeah. off the stand. Yeah. <laughs> Except you see the strings pulling. Yeah, the strings. Yeah, exactly. You can make it really cheesy and make sure that people see the strings. I would I would actually probably lean into that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I figured you would. <laughs> and, and what about you, Bill? What was your what was one that pops out to you? Also technology related, but not quite as bad as the synth thing with... Um, I'm going to look him up. Olafur Arnold's. Right? Oh, amazing. You won't regret it. He's yeah, I'll look him brilliant. up. Yeah. Um, old keyboard, but I, I, you know, I try to play everything on an acoustic instrument. In this one case, it, it wasn't going to happen. I, I convinced them they had a keyboard. They wanted me to use that. I'm like, no, I'm bringing my keyboard. You want to, you want me to play? I get to bring my keyboard. Yeah, okay, fine. So I bring the keyboard. Well, <laughs> for those of you who don't know, the Yamaha S90 ES has a few firmware bugs. 
And one of them is that if you haven't changed a patch for a long time, the keyboard at some point may actually change the patch for you. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'm doing the whole concert in sort of like the natural piano setting. And um, it has about eight or nine piano settings, sampled settings. And one of them is like, you know, a ragtime piano that's totally out of tune, totally honky tonk, right? You could tell right away if that were to happen that there was a different instrument that had been selected. Absolutely. Well, that is the patch that it decided to use. <laughs> about 32 bars from the end of Rhapsody in Blue. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> and there's nothing you can do. I mean, you can no. change it. If you had foot pedals, you could change it instantly. But it takes like at least two button clicks to change a patch. And you're not going to take your hands off the keyboard 32 bars away from the end of Rhapsody in Blue. There's no place to do that. No. There is just no space <laughs> where you could do that, right? So that happened. <laughs> and I played the rest of Rhapsody in Blue, which is like the wrap-up of the whole show on what now sounded Hockey like song. a ragtime piano. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to go a little Western for you guys right now. Yeah, yeah. So it was totally honky-tonk. And the good news is, of course, I was playing for an audience of older people, so not many of them could hear anything. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the solution, Bill. Just play for a bunch of <laughs> deaf, slightly deaf oh, people oh that just God. won't notice the difference. Yeah, you know, I know. <laughs> it, it, I think we always, that's so funny. Man, have I been there too. Um, and you just click the like the wrong button. Uh, oh, yeah. Or you intentionally yeah, like, hit the wrong patch a and you're in this completely different sound. peaceful moment. And all yeah. of a sudden. <laughs> oh, man. I remember once playing a reggae show not too long ago, actually, but with um, my band, my old reggae band back in Toronto. And there's this soft, jazzy interlude moment. And, you know, like lead singers talking to the audience. And oh, the songs no. about peace and about love. I can see the train that. coming now. Yeah, I know. Right. And then Chris is playing the soft uh, piano and then it. I accidentally switched. I thought it was going to be two really soft, melodic electric keys. And it was kind of the same thing. It was like this harsh, distorted uh, electric, uh, sorry, harsh, distorted kind of uh, piano, uh, specifically for a very particular song. Anyway, not that one. And it was just like, <laughs> dun, dun, dang, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> really audible clunk. And then my lead singer looks back at me. And he's like, except not like that. <laughs> exactly, like, he, right? He's like, don't don't follow whatever the hell Chris is doing right there. <laughs> and I just... I was, I was so going so red. I'm like, I'm sorry, Sheldon, it wasn't my fault. But he, he was joking because every musician, I mean, every musician knows that uh, that stuff happens all the time. Oh, yeah. It happens all the time. Mistakes happen all the time. I was uh, working with a friend who's just new on her music journey and um, but very gifted, but very new on it. And I was telling her that, look, every show you'll ever do, there's going to be something that goes wrong. Oh, yeah. Quote, unquote. You're not going to ever play a quote unquote perfect show, whatever that even means, right? Because first of all, that's just not how music works, and second of all, that's how you get the as what Bob Ross would call the happy accidents. You know, yeah, the happy accidents, right? So you get all these happy accidents that you don't want to miss out on. <laughs> so if you're hyper focused on not basically screwing up, not only are you going to not have a very good fluid organic performance because you're so caught up in, in overthinking things, basically, that you're probably going to inevitably screw up even more. Because you're so hell bent on not screwing up instead of just playing, you know, and 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 when you do inevitably make a mistake, the real key is to just keep going with it, you know. You yep. just you just move with that and just and embrace it and just keep moving with it. And that's a good metaphor for life because obviously this doesn't just pertain to music, music and being a musician, right? It's those um, those nuances that happen that make it all work. And if you're like the guy who um, I've got a buddy with a recording studio who loves the Beatles and, and 
he will listen to them in noise canceling headphones over and over and over and over. He's heard stuff on their albums, like released albums, airplanes, bus horns, whatever. It's all in there. Wow. And we would never know. But if you're listening and you, you have any idea of like what the instrumentalist is doing, what the singer is doing, you can hear all this stuff. And if you start to watch for it, you'll pick up their habits and ticks and different things. And it becomes a part of what makes them them. Like yeah. makes their music essentially theirs, right? Oh, yeah. Nobody else plays exactly that way. And That's the beauty um, of it. It's the beauty of it, right? Um, Dr. John is a great one to listen to if you're into that kind of stuff. Because that cat never plays the same thing twice. Yeah. Right? And he's he loves to record exposed albums, like in his studio, where it's just him and the piano. And when you get that raw, you can really hear what makes Dr. John, Dr. John. And it's not playing perfectly. I'll just give you a little hint. It's not playing perfectly. It's playing musically. Mm. And it is so cool to hear somebody in that place, that exposed, right? Yep. Just just going for it. Um, who's the other guy? Robert Downey. Robert Downey. Um, not, not Robert Downey. Uh, Harry Connick Jr. He's a junior too. Yep. yep. <laughs> um, amazing musician. And when he plays out, even if it's just a little bit, it is so beautifully intentional mm. that you just, I mean, even if it's in like some, some Louisiana blues kind of thing, it's just gorgeous to hear that happen. And uh, it wouldn't be the same music without it. You know? I mean, it makes me think back to Oliver Arnold's. He is famous also for, there's a couple of uh, software instrument companies that literally emulate his recording style. And no his, kidding. His whole, he's got a whole patch with a, Wow. Program Spitfire Audio has a whole series of his curated instruments and all this stuff because Olafur is also a, an engineer, an audio engineer as well. Mm -hmm. And so his sound, he's really created this soft felt piano tone that has all the nuances. So he records all the noise of the, specifically he mics the pedal. So the yep. of the pedal, yep. the, uh, the up and down of the felt pad um, on the strings of the, of the piano and the mallets yeah, and everything damper like that. Whoosh. the damper whoosh everything every little nuance of the piano he yeah. puts mics specifically to record the quote-unquote not mistakes but the stuff that most recordings try to get out of the recording yeah, the mechanical noise the mechanical noise like you hear when you hear him hear the piano playing half of his piano is the noise of the piano not just the notes of the piano but it's such a style and it's so emotional like you hear it and you're like oh yeah and it, it's because it captures so much of that essence another piano player that has a very similar style is Niels from uh Niels from n-i-l-s from f-a-r-h-m and uh similar exact kind of thing another artist who is emulated with other software instruments that were created after that same style of like dr john being in that room and getting all the room getting all of the the, the yeah. stuff outside that most people want to cancel out get that too yeah. Get it all in there. Get the imperfections. That's what makes it unique. So, yeah, I'm I'm happy that we're in an era where overproduced stuff still exists, but coexists alongside raw stuff. Yeah, and it it just it makes me feel so good to see so many artists, like top forty artists, who are just doing stuff in their home studio and releasing it. Yeah, right. Yeah, and and that's 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 beautiful. Yeah, we we get to see them. Sort of in development and what it's like as they're you know when they've got a new song and they're going to premiere it now with just them and a, the 
guy in a guitar sitting there, you know, like yeah. singing this brand new piece of music for the mm -hmm. first time ever in public, in, in, theoretically. Uh, that's that's an incredible experience. And that's happening all over the place. I know. It doesn't matter, you know, how big the name is. Lots of people are releasing music, right? Then yeah. at a rate that is astounding and, and also wonderful. Like, bring it, right? Let's hear the music. Yeah. You know, I... And, I and, and we can hear people from Iceland, for heaven's sakes. Yeah. When I was growing up, you'd have to you'd have to go to Iceland to hear a concert. Yeah. Right. Now you can at least get the recordings, and even better, now we can live stream. I know. Right. It's it's amazing. Like it's all, it's all about the technology is never the the enemy. It's always the con. Oh no, no technology, technology is always the enemy, dude. I. <laughs> Yo, screw technology, man. The bane of my existence. Except, wait, what are we recording on right now? <laughs> I know. And what do we play on when we have to go anywhere? Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, no, I it's... just have this ongoing um, love hate relationship with my tech. Oh, I think everyone does, and that's I do too. You know. But it, it is love and hate. <laughs> it's both. It's as good as you can get. Yeah. Most of the time. <laughs> Most of the time. <laughs> and if it's really good, then the tech itself will remind you of your, <laughs> your fallibility. And right. Instantly bring you to a level of humility you've never experienced live on stage. <laughs> oh, this tech's too good. <laughs> it's too raw. <laughs> I'm hearing too much myself. <laughs> exactly. I love it. <laughs> So have we uh, have we solved the live stream question? At least put a stake in the ground for where we both are today. I feel a lot better about it. <laughs> I feel I feel like we have a, a better understanding of this. Uh, it's like a multi level experience of music now. It's not just I get to buy a CD and I listen to it. There's so much more. We have so many more ways to consume um, art. You know nowadays. So I think that's awesome. I think we need to lead into it, but I also think we don't want to lose, and I don't think we will. I know, I know we won't, but, we're, but I don't want to lose the um, the origins of music too, which is you know that in person, maybe sitting around a campfire and playing some songs with your friends too. I mean, that's just as important as streaming uh, your top favorite artists or going to those online shows. It's a it's a multi tiered, multi uh, experiential situation. <laughs> I love the fact that we can. Uh we can make music out in the wild. It's been a dream of mine for a long time. And I think John Tesh actually did this, hauled a grand piano to the top of some mountain someplace and then filmed himself playing there. Uh, wouldn't that be the peak experience? Yes. But how about having an audience? I mean, I've seen people, you know, hike up to the top of 14,000 peaks with their, um, with their cello or something on their back and record the box suites up there, mm. you know, with real video and real audio, but in that environment, you know, and pity the poor cello because I don't know how instruments that are made of wood respond to that kind of ordeal. But anyway, yeah, right. So maybe we with solar and something we can hike with a keyboard to the top of some place in the Cascades and and actually have a concert up there and live stream that. Because for heaven's sakes, we've got what is it the the Skylink thing that's up there now. Um, mm. You know, this is technologically it's possible to do a concert from the top of a mountain. Why not? Why not? Why not? You know, I know um, another Icelandic, I, I, I have a thing for Icelandic music and their art scene. There's it's amazing for such a small country, uh, the vibrancy of that culture. But anyway, um, another band, Sigurós, one of their more famous bands from Iceland, they had a whole uh, concert sort of tour throughout um, Iceland that was about 
they were all in remote locations. They were all in Perfect. like one was like an abandoned missile missile silo. The other was in the middle of a forest. One was near this epic waterfall, etc. And the audience, the the audience, there would be a couple thousand people coming to the show, and they had to have these very specific directions, you know, taking <laughs> this, you know, route to this hike to this thing and to get to the show, right? Yeah. To get to these mystical, beautiful, incredible places. And so they kind of did exactly what you were saying there, which was, you know, not only are they taking the instruments to these pretty incredible locations, but yeah, bring the audience too in real uh, life, get, have them come in real life and then live stream it too. Why not? You know, like why not? Whole nine yards, make it all happen. <laughs> make it all happen. <laughs> so I'm down for that. You know, I'll, I'll, um, I'll continue to work on my dream of a concert grant on the top of a mountain. But in the meantime, <laughs> we got live streaming from the living room, right? Yeah. In, in my pajamas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or from the top, you know, up. Or pajamas, yeah, that's the know. Zoom look, right? Yeah. yeah, the Zoom look. Pajamas on the bottom half, the tuxedo on the top. You know. Tuxedo, yeah, there you go. Or a tuxedo t-shirt, why go all out, you know? You yeah, that's true. Still Zoom. <laughs> Still Zoom. I love it. So we'll have to put all these Icelandic bands in the show notes. If, okay. For no other reason than I want it, I want to hear them. Yep. And uh, who knows, maybe somebody else will too. Uh, and I agree, by the way, uh, we've been watching some Icelandic cinema, both series and um, actual movies that, I don't, well, the actors are largely Icelandic, but to go up there and film like pretty much in the dark a lot of the time. In the winter, certainly. Uh, and have it work. And uh, I mean, the writing's incredible. Of course, it's all translated. You get subtitles. I don't care. It's better TV than I've seen, you know, coming out of the studios. So mm. go for it. Oh, I know the the music's insanely amazing there. The the cinema is incredible. The the thing about Iceland too is that so many films have gone to Iceland to film. Like oh, yeah. Tom, Cru Tom Cruise has filmed many. Like yeah, Ridley Scott's Cruise. got a couple of his films done there. I mean, just so many major like you know Game of Thrones, etc. Star Wars. Everyone's filmed in Iceland. A lot of the time, Iceland's actually used as an alien planet. <laughs> It's a lot of, uh, of the time as an alien planet because there are some real otherworldly looking places in Iceland. It's on my bucket list. I've yet to be there. I've, for someone who's been obsessed with that place since I was a teenager, um, I haven't been yet. <laughs> I gotta get time there. to go. It's time to it's, go. It's becoming crowded. It is lots, lots of tourism. A lot of tourism. It's very popular now, but uh, that's okay. I'm gonna still go right. meet all my favorite artists. So it's gonna happen. I'll let you know. Yeah, do that. <laughs> Yes, we'll put in the show notes, but I, I think we uh, I think we got a good uh, kind of conversation here about you know music yeah. where we're at right now with uh, experiencing it in general, right? Yeah, and hey, if you're listening and you want to add something to this, some weird kind of crazy experience that's possible with technology these days, let's do that. Yes, I'm sure there's stuff that we've missed, and if you know of it, please let us know in the comments because. Well, hey, uh, the more ways that we can get our music and, and other musicians can hear this and figure out how to get their music out to more people and other ways that people can experience music, because uh, in this crazy world we live in, you know, anytime you can feel some healing vibrations, I think is a good thing. Absolutely. And by the way, so a request for anyone who's listening, if you have a favorite bone conducting headphone, um, doesn't have to be Bluetooth, although that's convenient, but bone conducting headphones. I'm interested. Let me know what you think. Uh, if you've tried any, what they are like, if you don't like them, why just, you know, post in the comments. Cause that's a great way of getting the vibration, like right on your skull, which is exactly what we want, right? We want the, we want the music vibrating right inside your head. Can you quickly explain that bill? Cause I'm actually not as familiar with that either. 
Oh, like bone conducting? Yeah. Um, so there, there's technology basically that takes a speaker and rests it on your skull. And instead of hearing with your ears, you sort of hear through the vibration of your skull. Oh, I have heard of that. And it's, it's wow. really kind of cool. So they used to be like resting on the top of your skull, but now they've got them miniaturized. And there's a little bone that's like right behind your ear. If you like press right behind your earlobe, you'll feel it. And I think that's where the little thing rests and it plays music there. And it's the weirdest dang thing because if you did bone conducting only, you wouldn't be hearing with your ears. You'd be getting that vibration. If you go to the oh audiologist uh, for any reason, they'll, they'll give you these as part of the test. You'll get the bone conducting headphones for the test. And they're, they're used. Um, Advanced Brain Technologies, I think, is an outfit out of Provo, Utah, if I have that wrong. Alex, don't hate on me. Um, Alex Doman is the CEO. But Advanced Brain Technologies uh, records and sells music for a purpose, and the bone conducting headphones are part of that. Okay. So that it gets right into your, like, the vibration is right there, literally in your head. That's so like, what a way to experience music. I, I, cool? I haven't had that experience yet. So I, uh, I'm writing that down too, because I want to experience that. Think about a silent disco. Have you ever done a silent disco? Yes, I have. Yeah. Yeah. With the bone conducting headphones um, would be really cool. And for those listening, it, if you don't know what a silent disco is, it's just, uh, you know, dance party, but everyone's wearing headphones, DJ sending out the music uh, wirelessly to your headphones. So it's quiet, but you're dancing obviously, because you can hear the music on your headphones. Yeah. Which is really cool. Really cool. So we got a whole other podcast going. But sorry to take a little more time. If you know anything about um, bone conducting, have had any experience with it? Let me know. Athletes, I guess, use them. Runners use them a lot. They're pretty light because they don't require the big magnets, you know, like in our Sony's and stuff. Interesting. We'll have to check it out. But uh, yeah, I think we'll we'll end things here for this episode, and yeah, uh, wrap it up. we'll wrap it up. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening in on our conversation and for taking time to show your appreciation with a like, share, or subscribe. Discussions of music, healing, and consciousness is a practice of spontaneity, and we welcome your comments, ideas, and questions. There are ways to connect with us in the show notes, so let us hear from you. Until next time, this is Bill Protzman along with Chris Noble wishing you great musical health. Samara Huchaya. Thank you.